talks to us on Totus to Us. Father Michael Dunn talks to us about the spiritual experience of Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Through the Cross to Light. I hope at the end of this talk, uh, more will be understood about why, in fact, one can speak almost actually with joy about suffering, with joy about the darkness experienced by Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And all of it's come in terms of my personal experience, having found this book, Come Be My Light, and it's the private writings of Mother Teresa, that in a sense she asked actually people to destroy, but as usual in these wonderful providential things, they disobey, and uh, this is itself a gift to the church. All of us know in our lives the contribution she made to the world, brightening so much of India, and indeed the rest of the world, now one of the largest orders of the church. What we don't know is what she suffered interiorly, which is the subject, of course, this evening's talk. And I'm quite sure that this book, and indeed the rest of her order, will be giving her a place in the church like no other. Her place in the church, I'm convinced, has only just begun to take its effect, because this book, The Spiritual Experience of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, is dynamite. It is spiritual dynamite. And I use the word advisedly, dynamite, thinking of the Greek root of the word, dunamis, which is power. This book is spiritual power in a world that has nothing of it and craves for it. And so it is, actually, with joy that I speak about it and introduce you to it. But when I say spiritual power, dynamite, it is also extremely counter-cultural. The relentlessness of her darkness is deeply counter-cultural. To speak of that for long, even to introduce ourselves to it, needs all of us, saturated as we are with the ethos of the world, to see that it does have purpose, that there is meaning in this awful darkness. So let us go with it for a while. Three facts of her life, we all know them well. Born in 1910, Albania, founded the Missionaries of Charity when she was 38 in 1948, and died when she was 86 in 1996. But three aspects of her interior life, I want to touch on two of them and then concentrate on the biggest period. As a Loretto nun, she then had a private vow that she made, I'll be looking at that, then looking at her mystical experiences which led her to found the missionaries of charity, and then finally and principally looking at the intimate sharing in the cross of Christ over five decades of interior darkness, and that will be the concentration of the talk. Unremarkable in a little girl, she was 12 years old when she decided she wanted to be a missionary, and by 18 she was in the Loretto Convent in Dublin, the mother house of the Loretto Orders called Loretto Abbey in Rathfarn. From there she was sent to Calcutta at 19, and she started teaching in a mid-school. Her first profession was aged 21 when she took three vows, the normal ones, poverty, chastity, obedience. Six years later she renewed her vows forever. And on the road to heroic sanctity, she was still, even as a young nun, hugely impressive. This is a quotation from her when she's 28. If we want Ben Gaul for Christ, we have to pay with many sacrifices. 
Now I really rejoice when something doesn't go as I wish, because I see that Jesus wants our trust. That is why the loss, let us praise God as if we had received everything. So in her every loss, she gave thanks as if she had received everything, because her trust was growing. Four years later, in 1942, in the middle of what was, in fact, the Second World War and the fall of Burma, just in the neighbouring country, Mother Teresa, again, interior as ever, was taking her private vow. She had decided that she was going to give everything to Christ and refuse him nothing. This is her again. I made a vow to God, binding under pain of mortal sin, to give God anything that he may ask, not to refuse him anything. We must give ourselves fully to God. Why, she asks, because God has given himself fully to us. If God, who owes us nothing, is ready to impart no less than himself, shall we answer with just a fraction of ourselves? To give ourselves fully to God is a means of receiving God himself. That's a most extraordinary insight. To give ourselves fully to God is a means of receiving God himself in us. She carries on. I for God and God for me. I live for God and give up my own self and in this way induce God to live for me. Therefore to possess God we must allow him to possess our soul. And in daily life, it boiled down to, don't look, she says, for big things, just do small things with great love. The smaller the thing, the greater must be our love. She carried on living that vow without fail for four years, doing that and doubtless growing in sanctity, even while she was sustained, though, in consolation in her prayer. So she was richly rewarded in her prayer at this time. But then it was on her going to the annual retreat in Darjeeling. She wasn't knocked off a horse of St. Paul, but she was in a train in Darjeeling, September 1946. And then she received what she calls the call within the call. It was on this day in 1946 that God gave me the call within a call to satiate the thirst of Jesus by serving him in the poorest of the poor. Come be my light, he said, in the darkest holes of the poor. And then she describes the thirst in the spiritual conference she gave her sisters. I thirst, Jesus said on the cross, when Jesus was deprived of every consolation, dying in absolute poverty, left alone, despised and broken in body and soul. He spoke of his thirst, not for water, but for love for sacrifice. Jesus is God, therefore his love, his thirst, is infinite. Our aim is to quench this infinite thirst of God made man. Just like the adoring angels in heaven ceaselessly sing the praises of God, so we sisters, using our four vows of absolute poverty, chastity and obedience and charity, must ceaselessly quench the thirsting God by our love and the love of souls for him. 
Now the first thing that her spiritual director did when she received that call within a call was who ordered her to stop thinking about it for at least a year and test its validity. She had, of course, Jesuit spiritual directors, and that's a very Ignatian thing to do, to say, stop thinking about it for a year. Even so, the priest wrote to the Archbishop of Calcutta, saying, I knew that our Lord had raised that nun to the state of higher prayer. Ecstasy she may not have had, but it was the immediate state before ecstasy. But it was my conviction, however vague, that the state of ecstasy would soon be reached with union with our Lord in a deep and violent rapture seemed not very far away. Then she wrote to Archbishop Perrier of Calcutta. This is what she wrote. She waited the one year and then wrote the letter to Archbishop Perrier of Calcutta. Day after day, hour after hour, Jesus asks me the same question. Will you refuse this for me? And I tell Jesus the answer is with your grace. So that's putting pressure on the hierarchy. Always a good thing to do, but nonetheless, that's how she did it. So he had the decision whether or not to allow her to set up this new order within the diocese, the missionaries of charity. And indeed, he gives that permission. In January 1948, Archbishop Perrier gave consent for a diocesan religious institute with the title Missionary of Charities to be formed. And Mother Teresa wrote to him about the work those nuns would do. For the life they would live, seculars would not be able to do it. For a work of continual self-forgetfulness and immolation for others, you need interior souls, burning with love for God and souls. Pure souls who would see and seek God in the poor. Free souls who would be able to sacrifice everything just for this one thing to bring souls to God. The work will need much deep, fervent prayer and much penance. And all people of an association will be able to bring to the work the work to fulfill the aim to bring souls to God and God to souls. She was then exclaustrated from Loretto with permission of Pius XII and in August 48 sets out to found the first house of the missionaries of charity in Patna in India. She asked the superior general of the Loretto order to borrow a building which was not being used by the Loretto sisters. And this is the amazing, it's just worth reading, this is the amazing letter that the superior general sent back to the young Mother Teresa. You have forgotten that our constitutions forbid the alienation of property. My consultors and I wish you every blessing and success in the new work for the salvation of the souls. I was under the impression that you intended to live as a native among the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, and by your example there, you hoped to attract others to join you. I hope you keep ever so well, for you must find life in Patna very great change. I remember seeing you here in Loretto Abbey in Dublin before you went to India. You knew no English, I think. With love and every best wish, Mother Pauline Dunn, <laughs> Superior General. So that obviously, I mean, she loved the Loretto sisters, but there was that slight, obviously, I don't know, maybe jealousy, maybe something that, that went added a great deal of friction for poor Mother Teresa as she was founding. So she wasn't even given a disused Loretto convent to live in. 
and eventually she was given a flat, a third floor flat, 14 Creek Street by two brothers as the first home of the Missionaries of Charity. She was there in 1949 and by 1950, one year, had a community of 12 and the diocese raised the society to the Society of Missionaries of Charity. The first purpose of the order was as follows. To quench the thirst of our Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of souls by the observance of three vows of poverty, chastity and obedience and an additional fourth vow to devote themselves with abnegation to the care of the poor and the needy who live in conditions unworthy of human dignity. So just as she has arrived at all that Jesus had asked her to do in that call within a call and all the richness of that interior prayer, it all disappeared. After the founding of the Missionaries of Charities, now she experienced a harrowing and persistent darkness which was to last five decades and was never actually to be dispelled so much as resolved in her understanding of why she had to suffer this continuing suffering. Writing ten years later, looking back on those early years, she wrote to her spiritual director these lines. Now, Father, since 1949 or 50, this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me that deep pain in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind or with my reason. The place for God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God, and then it is that I feel he does not want me. He is not there. Heaven, souls, why, these are just words which mean nothing to me. My very life seems contradictory. I help souls, but to go to where? Where is all this, and what does it mean? The torture and the pain, I can't explain. From my childhood, I have had a most tender love of Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, but this too has gone. I feel nothing before Jesus. And yet I would not miss Holy Communion for anything. You see, Father, the contradiction in my life. I long for God. I want to love him, to love him much, to live only for the love of him. And yet there is this pain, this longing, and there is no love. Years back, 17 years now, I wanted to give God something very beautiful. And I bound myself under pain of mortal sin, not to refuse him anything. Since then I have kept this promise, and when something of the darkness is very dark, I am on the verge of saying no to God, but the thought pulls me up and I decline. She thus begins to demonstrate her understanding of the sufferings that she is given. She begins to instruct her sisters, also in this period, ten years in, with the words, My dear children, without our suffering, our work would just be social work, very good and helpful, but it would not be the work of Jesus Christ. It would not be his redemption. Jesus wanted to help us by sharing our life, our loneliness, our agony and our death. All that he has taken upon himself 
and has carried into the darkest night, only by being one with us was he able to redeem us. We are allowed to do the same. We are allowed to do the same. All the desolation of the poor people, not only their material poverty, but their spiritual destitution, must be redeemed, and we must have our share in it. So pray thus when you find it hard. I wish to live in this world, which is so far from God, which has turned so much from the light of Jesus to help them, to take upon me something of their suffering. Yes, my dear children, let us share the sufferings of our poor, for only by being one with them can we redeem them, that is, bringing God into their lives and bringing them to God. And thus, the greater the pain that you suffer, the darker the darkness, the sweeter will we smile at God. And she concludes that line by saying, I have come to love the darkness. But she said, I have come to love the darkness, which otherwise would be insane, because of what she's understood about the reparative nature of her suffering. Having said that, this was just ten years into her suffering. She had four more decades to go. Five years later, 1965, seems to have been the awful point. Around that time, she went on a 14-day retreat with her spiritual director, Father Picardi, SJ, who later became the Archbishop of Calcutta, and her notes survive. And her retreat notes of that Ignatian retreat are awe-inspiring. The three great Jesuit questions, remember, in the spiritual exercises are what have I done for Christ, what am I doing for Christ, and what should I be doing for Christ? Mother Teresa can answer those questions as few of us, I think, can with these answers. What have I done for Christ? I have loved him blindly, totally, only. What am I doing for Christ? I use every power in me, in spite of my feelings, to make him loved personally by the sisters and by people. What should I do for Christ? I will let him have a free hand with me and in me. I mean, these are perfect answers that only she could say. And yet, she says, I will spend my tenth day with Jesus in the agony in the garden to spend a day in reparation for the sufferings I have made Jesus bear for me. And to the question, am I resigned interiorly to the trials which God sends me? She says, I will accept them as gifts from the tenderness of his heart. And then she even puts a note to her spiritual director. Father, understand. Do not let me deceive you. The torture within me is very great. Thank God. Thank God for the torture that is within me. It is very great. Things grew worse. And again, about 10 years after that, so she's now 55 to 60, how about this? How cold and how empty, how painful is my heart. Holy Communion, Holy Mass, all the things of the spiritual life of Christ within me are empty, cold and unwanted. The physical situation of my poor left in the streets are the true picture of my own spiritual life, of my love for Jesus. And yet this terrible pain has never made me desire to have it different, 
I will carry on with that pain. What's more, I want it to be like this, as long as he wants it to be like that for me. He has taken away not only my spiritual health, but my human health. Nothing enters my soul. If there is hell, this must be one. How terrible it is to be without God, without prayer, without faith, and without love. The only thing that remains is the conviction that this work that I do is his, that the sisters and the brothers are his, and that I cling to this as the person having nothing clings to straw before drowning. Clings to straw before drowning. Now, happily, Teresa didn't drown, but it's precisely by offering that suffering as reparatory suffering, a vicarious participation in Christ's own thirst for souls, that she could participate most effectively in the redemption of the spiritually and materially destitute by sharing in that destitution herself. The work is his, is her only consolation, and so indeed it is, because if you think, of course, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Christ didn't save us from on high. He was born in poverty in the manger, and then to the utter dereliction of the cross. And it's here that Mother Teresa begins to take her place in the ranks of the great saints on mystics, even though she's in a sort of very small band, because again, she's in an unusual niche because our Lord left her in the darkness. If you think of the three great strands of mystical life, such as explained by John of the Cross, you have the purgative, the purgation, the suffering, then the illumination, and then you have union. He left Mother Teresa in the darkness. He didn't give her that illumination, that union. But her own darkness became some form of that union. In part of the great footnotes of the book, Come Be My Light, it's quoting this great Dominican, Father Gregu Lagrange's book on the three ages of the interior life. And he cites, as the only one comparable to Mother Teresa, he cites today's feast day, St. Paul of the Cross, the 18th century mystic who again, like Teresa, founded an order, the Passionist Fathers. He was 50 years in darkness without any consolation. And he also sought to share in the dereliction of those souls he wished to save. So, St. Paul of the Cross, he suffers in a purgative way, but it's a reparation. It's not simply purgative in the sense of it purifying the particular soul for that particular soul's purpose to achieve illumination and union. Father Lagrange writes the following. The lives of some great servants of God, especially dedicated to reparation, to immolation for the salvation of souls, or to the apostolate of interior suffering, make one think of the prolongation of this night of reparation. The common opinion is that the servants of God are particularly difficultly tried. Following the example of our Lord, they must suffer by the very need that they choose to give spiritual solace, such as founding religious orders or the salvation of many souls. When this trial is chiefly reparatory, when it is principally for its end to make already purified souls work for the purification of others, 
then it takes on the additional character, reminiscent of the innocent sufferings of Jesus and Mary. The point being, Jesus and Mary didn't need to be purified so that they could work for the salvation of others. Their sufferings were automatically reparatory. They weren't guilty, but they willingly suffered for others to lead them to God. It's precisely this understanding of Mother Teresa's suffering that allows her to say these amazing things, such as, I have come to love the darkness, that I want to suffer like this in order to fulfill God's mission for the world. And so in the last 20, 30 years of her darkness, she does actually become serene. In one of her spiritual conferences to the sister, she says the following, Suffering and pain and failure is but a kiss of Jesus, a sign that you have come so close to Jesus on the cross that he can kiss you. So be happy, my child. Do not be discouraged. Smile back to Jesus. For you it is a most beautiful chance to become fully and totally forgotten. She said that she suffered them all under all the honours that were given to her. In 1985, Pereth de Quire, then Secretary General of the United Nations, described her as the most powerful woman in the world. She was alive for the first Gulf War, and in spite of her huge influence, her letter to President George Bush and President Hussein, she said, was written with tears in my eyes and God's love in my heart, but it certainly didn't stop them going to war. In 1996, all within recent memory really, she, her health did finally break down, and even she splendidly remarked on her deathbed, Jesus is asking a bit too much from me now. Though, of course, she was happy to accede to his request, which was not, finally at this time, suffering, but in fact the call to rest. And on the very night that she died, she needed emergency treatment, but there was a universal power cut throughout Calcutta. And so, of course, she died even as she lived in the poverty of the poorest of the poor. Now, what's all this about? Well, why I think it's so important is the theology of the resurrection. This is what Teresa teaches us about. St. Paul to the Philippians says, All I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and to share his sufferings by conforming myself to the pattern of his death. Teresa teaches us, if ever I become a saint, I will surely be one of darkness. I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those in darkness on earth. The paradox of darkness is that it is the gateway to light, through the cross to light, per crucem ad luce. The key to holiness in every Catholic's life, though, not just in the lives of the great saints, every one of us called to sanctity, must be this interiorization of the passion, of what St. Paul of the Cross calls participation in the passion. Because if we can interiorize the passion of Jesus Christ, live it in our own suffering then we are open boundless to all that the passion is for the redemption of the world. It is the means of our own purification, living our suffering. But even when we've done that, it is the means of reparation also, that we share Christ's redemptive role in the world, which is the dignity conferred upon us in our baptism.
Mother Teresa says of the sisters going to Mass, this is what they must do when they go to their daily Mass. Each sister is to do the work of the priest where the priest cannot go, and do what he cannot do. She must be imbibed by the spirit of Holy Mass, which is one of total surrender and offering. For this reason, Holy Mass must become the daily meeting place where God and his creature offer each other for each other and the world. What a staggering theology of the Mass, that you go to Mass offering yourself to God for the salvation of the world. And yes, God offers himself to you for the salvation of the world. And in that intimacy and communion, we have joined the cross and the resurrection. Because when St. Paul tells the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ and yet I am alive. Yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It looks as if he's talking about the crucifixion, about darkness. I have been crucified with Christ and yet I am alive. But he's not talking about the crucifixion. He never knew Jesus of Nazareth on earth. He's only known the risen one. And what Paul is talking about there is in fact the power of the resurrection. The power of her crucem ad lucem. The last word to Teresa. The joy of loving Jesus comes from the joy of sharing his suffering. So do not allow yourself to be troubled or distressed, but believe in the joy of the resurrection. In all of our lives, as in the life of Jesus, the resurrection has to come. The joy of Easter has to dawn. So in the very darkness that she lived, she was a witness to the resurrection. And all of us are called and have the gift, that same gift, offered to us in the daily suffering that we have in our lives.